You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on October 6, 2019. A reading from the second letter to the Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today we are beginning a sermon series, which was going to last through the rest of the the month of October, uh, with one week accepted. And the title of this is going to, to be The Joy of Giving Up. And in this month we're going to be focusing on the biblical virtue of generosity and what it means for us in our lives. And this is not just going to be for our Sunday services, but also we have a new Wednesday series that's starting up not this week, because I'll be away, but the the following week. And you should have all received some daily devotionals in the mail this past week. And I encourage you to to follow along with those devotionals as we move through this month together. Talking about money can be tough for all of us. Uh, Some people consider talking about money to be a taboo subject. Some people barely have enough money to survive on. Some people have lots of money, but they don't want to part with it. And some people are controlled by the pursuit of money. And so to cut through the tension, we're going to start with a joke. Two men were marooned on an island, and one man paced back and forth, worried and scared, while the other man sat back, sunning himself on the beach. And the first man said to the second man, aren't you afraid that we're about to die? No, said the second man. I make $10,000 a week and I tithe faithfully to my church each week. It's stewardship month in my church and my pastor will find me. (laughs) Some churches talk about money too much. But the other side of that coin is you can talk about money far too little. It's a mistake not to talk about money at all, because the Bible has a lot to say about money. Jesus himself had a lot to say about money. And so it's an important piece of our discipleship to learn what it is that Jesus says about money and how we're supposed to use it in our lives as Christians. Generosity is a heart issue, and it's one that God cares deeply about. He cares deeply about our hearts the condition of our hearts, and what we do with the resources that he's blessed us with. Why is this? 
Well, for one thing, God is a generous God. You all know the words of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. Not just a little thing, but he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have life. God is a generous God. Can you imagine the generosity involved in giving your only son, Jesus Christ, for the sake of the world, for the sake of you and for the sake of me? Jesus gave his life for us. And as we respond to that gift, to that generosity in Jesus' life, we give up our lives for him, acknowledging him as Lord over every part of our lives, including our wallets. We're made in God's image. That means we have certain pieces of God's character that are deeply embedded in us and are part of who we are supposed to be when we dust off the the sin and all the ways that that image is marred. And part of that image is generosity. And so God has made us to be generous people. And when we operate out of a mode of generosity, we're recovering a little bit more of the character of who God made us to be. And so we're going to examine this over the next month by doing a particular study in the book of 2 Corinthians, which was a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians at a town called Corinth. So as we get started, let's just do a little bit of background about this letter, where it comes from, and why it was written. So first of all, who wrote the letter? And that, of course, as I just said, is Paul, St. Paul. What do we know about Paul? Well, first of all, we know that he grew up as a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as he says in one place, and not just as a Jew, but as a Pharisee. He was very committed, very dedicated to the law, and he was a zealous persecutor of the church. We read a little bit about his, his own journey in the letter to the Philippians, and in this letter, he says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if, anything, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So this is who Paul was. This is who he was discipled to be as a youth. This is who he was as a young man. He was, in many ways, a perfect Pharisee. And yet, he realized something was missing in his life. He calls himself, in another place, the least of the apostles, because he knows that he was a persecutor of the church. Unlike the other apostles who were uh, close followers of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, Paul doesn't come in contact with Jesus until Jesus has died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus as he's on his way to cause even more destruction and persecution in the church. He stops him and he says, Saul, Saul, which was his name before he became an apostle, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, he sees a blinding light, and he's actually blinded, and he goes on a three-day journey, and a man who was listening to the Lord 
heals him. His name was Ananias. He lays hands on him and prays for him, and something like scales fall from his eyes, and he's baptized, and he becomes a follower of Jesus from that day on. And so going back to Philippians, this is his attitude towards everything that's come before in his life. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul Saul was indeed a righteous man in many ways, but he was righteous according to the law, and his heart was not in the right place. When Jesus comes into his life, everything changes. When the Holy Spirit inhabits him and indwells him, everything becomes different, and he sees clearly. And he realizes that it's not about what he does for the Lord, but what the Lord has done in him, giving him a righteousness that comes through faith. And so he counts everything that he gained in the past, everything that he worked hard for, as rubbish, literally as refuse, for the sake of what he has gained in finding Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So that's who Paul is. Now, who are the Corinthians? The town of Corinth was a very prosperous town. It was also a very pagan, Gentile town. And we know a few things about these Corinthian believers. For one thing, from 2 Corinthians, which we read this morning, we know that uh, the Corinthians were a town of go-getters who excel in everything, it says in verse 7 of chapter 8. They excel in everything. These were high achievers. These were people who, who did well in everything that they put their minds to. And because they were uh, a people who excelled in everything, they were attracted to these people that are sort of like super apostles. Um, In parentheses, you might say they were actually false apostles. They had false teaching, but it was an attractive teaching and was one that appealed to their sense of success and prestige and excellence. These super apostles were eloquent in speech and they preached a message very much like the prosperity gospel that is preached in so many places around the world today. The prosperity gospel says, if you just follow Jesus, everything will be peachy. You won't have any problems. You won't have any sorrows. Jesus is just going to take care of all of that, and your life is going to be uh, walking through a bed of roses, without the thorns, of course. It also says that if you have enough faith, you can just claim the blessings that you want from God, and he will pour them out upon you. The problem with this is it makes God a little bit like a vending machine. Insert faith here and out comes the blessing that I desire. Or like a genie in a bottle. Just rub the the bottle, the genie pops out, and you get your three wishes. But that's not who God is, and that's not who we are. God is in charge of us. We don't control God. And God delights to pour out his blessings upon us. But they're the blessings that he pours out upon us, not the blessings that we rain down on ourselves because of our faith. There's all kinds of problems with the prosperity gospel. 
And there's all kinds of problems with the teaching of these false apostles that were invading the church in Corinth. Many of the Corinthians were accustomed to accumulating lots of wealth for themselves and to hoarding that wealth. There's a passage in the first letter to the Corinthians uh, that talks about the Lord's Supper. And uh, in the, the very early church, um, in these house churches that were gathered together, the way the Lord's Supper was celebrated was something called sort of like an agape feast. People would come together. Yes, there was bread and yes, there was wine. Yes, they were blessed in the name of the Lord using the words of institution. But they also usually shared an, an agape meal, a fellowship meal in the context of this. And then uh, the portion that was what we call the Eucharist now was a piece of that agape meal. And here's what Paul says to the Corinthians, kind of chastising them for the way that they're doing this. He says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So we see some of these Corinthians were very wealthy, as many in Corinth were. Some of them were very poor, but there was a a big divide between rich and poor. And everyone was seeking after their own interests and after their own good. And they weren't sharing what they had with others. There's one final piece of background that we need to grasp to really understand what's going on in this letter. 2 Corinthians. And that has to do with a collection that was being taken up for the relief of believers in Judea, which is the, what we call today Palestine or Israel, uh, the, that area right along the Mediterranean Sea that was the land that God had given to his people. So Jerusalem is a part of this. Uh, that whole region of Judea is a part of this. Um, and there was a, a problem. There was a famine in the land. There was also persecution going on. And so in the book of Acts, we read that there was a a prophet who foretold of this famine that was coming, and he uh, just laid this out in front of the church, and the church prayed about it, and what they decided is that they should take up a collection, particularly for the, the saints, the believers, the Christians, in this region of Judea. And so they send Paul in particular, and some others, to the churches to take up this collection for the relief of the the saints in Judea. And so part of what we're reading about in the letter today, in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, is Paul reminding the Corinthians of their commitment to being a part of this collection. Now, he had first instructed them with regard to this collection in the first letter to the Corinthians, at the very end of the letter. And in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, then they will accompany me. So Paul had already visited the church in Corinth. He had already given them instruction about this collection that was being taken up. He had already encouraged them to participate and to set aside a portion of their income each week for that purpose. But in between the first letter to the Corinthians and the second letter to the Corinthians, 
there was another visit that Paul made to Corinth, and it didn't go well. It was actually a disaster. And Paul shows up, and he's ready to preach the gospel and to to lead the church as he was accustomed to doing. He was the one who had planted this church in the first place. And these super apostles, these false apostles, oppose him with their message of prosperity, with their eloquence in speech, and they humiliate him. And he ends up leaving and cutting his visit short. And so because of that tension, that, that, that rip in the relationship between Paul and the Corinthian believers, and because of another letter that he wrote in between First and Second Corinthians chastising the Corinthians for the way that they treated him. By the way, we don't have the actual second letter to the Corinthians in our Bibles. So what we have as Second Corinthians is actually the, the third or fourth letter written to the Corinthians. We're missing some, some information in between. So anyway, Paul is concerned that maybe uh, this rift in their relationship has, has caused uh, brokenness in his ability to minister to them, which he's trying to repair, but he's also concerned that maybe they've forgotten about their commitment to help these believers in Judea. And so in the 8th and ninth chapters, Paul is talking about this collection for the relief of the saints, reminding them of their commitment and encouraging them to give generously. So as part of this encouragement for the Corinthians to give generously, he sets up a challenge, sort of like a a healthy competition. I don't know, when you were in elementary school, maybe you did this. In my school, sometimes they would want to raise money for something, and so they'd pit the boys against the girls. And they'd have two uh, large jars or buckets, and you would put in loose change, and they would challenge the boys to beat the girls, and challenge the girls to beat the boys, and see who could put the most change into these jars. And that's kind of like what's going on here between Corinth and Macedonia. Paul is writing this letter from Macedonia. He's among the Macedonian believers. And just so you know, Macedonia is where Philippi is. That's the letter to the Philippians. Uh, It's also where Thessalonica is. That's the first and second letters to to the Thessalonians. Um, And it's also where the church in Berea was. So when we talk about Macedonia, we're talking about those three congregations that are that are mentioned in the scriptures in various places. And Paul praises the Macedonians to the Corinthians for their example of generosity. The Macedonian churches experienced joy and abundance in the midst of suffering and affliction. This is what it says in the letter we read today. Verses two through four. For in a severe test of affliction, Their abundance, the Macedonians, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. When we think about generous people, who do we think about? We tend to think about wealthy philanthropists, people who can afford to give millions of dollars to their favorite causes around the world, people who can give, you know, $2 million and and think nothing of it because it's just a small portion of their their total wealth, their total net worth, their, their possessions. But Paul is commending the Macedonians because they gave 
not out of their abundance, but out of their poverty. And they gave generously, even above their means, beyond their means, because they were so committed to this work of the relief of the saints. God had caught their hearts, and they were committed to being generous. And Paul was very impressed by this faith. It seems actually that that Paul was maybe even discouraging them from giving, but he says that they begged him to be able to participate. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. One commentator on this passage says that just as persecution did not take away their joyfulness, neither did their poverty diminish their ability to be generous. When we give, it's not about the amount that we give. It's about the condition of our heart as we give. It's about God desiring for us to be generous with what we have, to be good stewards of the resources that he has blessed us with. Because truly the things that we have are not really ours. We shepherd them, we steward them, we care for them, just as a wine steward cares for his master's wine, or a money steward cares for his master's money. The steward doesn't own anything, the master does. But the steward has a management of those things on behalf of the master. And that's what we have with the resources that God has blessed us with. We have a management of these resources for his sake and for the sake of his kingdom. One of my first experiences of giving that I remember as a, a young adult, and of course, as a child, my, my parents had taught me to give, and so I would, I would stick my quarter in the offering plate or whatever it was that I was supposed to, to give as a child. But when I was finally on my own, when I was a college student, when I was managing my own resources and I had my own bank account, I wasn't really giving anything. I was actually turned off by the idea of giving because I didn't have very much. I was a college student. And I had a a very small job on campus, uh, but it didn't produce a lot of income. And even though my parents were paying for my expenses at that time, and all of that income, whatever it was, was was basically money for me to do whatever I wanted to with, I was holding that money for myself. And I remember a specific point about halfway through college when God uh, showed me that what I was doing wasn't the right thing. And so he... Uh, He encouraged me both through the church that I was being supported as uh, for for future ministry, um, the church back in Pittsburgh that I was a part of, as well as a particular experience when I was at a uh, a concert. It was actually a week of concerts, uh, Christian concerts in a field, I think it was in Iowa, I don't remember. Anyway, they they take over this farm uh, for a week every year. It was called the Cornerstone Christian Music Festival. And bands, Christian bands from all over the place, come in and they have concert after concert after concert. You wake up hearing drums beating in the morning. You're sleeping in tents on the farm, of course. And, um, but Compassion International, which is a, an organization that cares for poor children around the world, had a significant presence there. And after many of the concerts, they would make an appeal for child sponsorship. And as I was listening to one of those appeals, God caught my heart. And as much as I was making excuses for why I couldn't give or shouldn't give because I had such small resources, God was reminding me that what I had was his. 
And he pressed on my heart to take on sponsorship of one of those children. Now, I'm not saying this to lift myself up. I was not a good sponsor by any means. I was neglectful in writing many of the letters that I should have been writing to encourage this child. I was providing the financial support faithfully, but I wasn't doing some of the other things. So I'm not doing this as an example of how good I am, but just an example of how God caught my heart in a time when I was holding my resources tightly and he was encouraging me to open my hands and to share what I had with others, with a child halfway across the world and with my congregation a couple states away in Pittsburgh. The testimony of the Macedonian Christians tells the efficient and excellent Corinthians that we do not give out of the overflow of our circumstances, out of our abundance, but out of the overflow of grace that we've been given in Christ. Jesus has given to us more than we could ever give back in any way. Jesus has literally poured out his life for us. And we take him as our Lord when we accept what he's done for us, as Lord of all we have and all we are. We do not give down to others from a position of power and prestige and privilege. We give up to God. We give up our plans to join the work of God in restoring all things and building up his kingdom. In the fifth verse of this chapter from Corinthians, as Paul talks about the giving of these Macedonians, he says this, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So Paul's appeal to them wasn't support me in my ministry, or even support the Jerusalem Christians and the Judean Christians. They were giving because they were giving first to the Lord. And by extension of that, out of obedience to the Lord, they realized that those monies, those resources, were to go for the specific work of supporting Paul and his ministry and supporting these Judean believers in Judea. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. It's not a blind following of Paul. They were giving ultimately as a way to serve the Lord at the Lord's direction. In the gospel that we read today, Jesus tells two very brief parables. These are probably the shortest parables of all of the ones that Jesus shared with his disciples. One is about hidden treasure in a field, and one is about a pearl that's worth more than any other pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And the conclusion of the second parable is very much the same. He went and sold all that he had, and he bought that pearl. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest treasure ever. It's worth giving up everything to take our place in it and to welcome others into it. And when we give to kingdom work, it's not a drudgery that we're compelled to participate in. It's a joy-filled experience as we give out of gratitude to God and as we take his generous character 
which he so freely pours out upon us. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you that you were willing to give your Son, Jesus Christ, to us so that we might have life in you. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your character upon us, that you would help us to reflect your image in all the various ways that you've called us to bear your image in this world, but especially in this character of generosity. We pray, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts to be generous in the ways that you call us to. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to give up everything, to put it all in your hands, so that we can be full participants in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.